Oh, yeah. You may be seated. Yeah, yeah. Unless you want to do that song again. I think they stay standing. I think they want to do that song again, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad that you are here. Uh, wherever you are worshiping, whether you're watching this uh, online with us right now, later on in the week, 2 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock later on in the podcast, man, just thank you. Uh, we know there's so many places and ways you can worship now in this post-COVID world in which we live. There's so many different ways to worship. And the fact that you would allow us to connect with you like this, uh, we appreciate it. And it's good to see many of you. And I uh, hadn't seen you in a while, and it's just, it's just good to see you. It, it really, really is. Now, we kind of, we're in the second week of a message series we're calling The Happy Life. We are looking at the book of Philippians, kind of looking in big chunks. Uh, but we're pushing pause this weekend on this particular message series. We're pushing pause. Uh, we'll re-push play next weekend, and we'll resume that. So if this is why you're here, uh, we hope you'll come back and be a part of that, but we'll, we'll re reconnect with that. Uh, but this weekend, we're kind of doing something kind of different, and here's why. Uh, this week, I received a few phone calls, a couple of the pastors going, hey, listen, uh, Rick, uh, we're wondering if and how you're going to address what's going on, all the upheaval that's been going on in our nation in recent time. Are you going to address that? And I'm going, uh, no, not really. And I wasn't thinking about that. And they said, well, if you change your mind, let us know kind of what you're going to do because we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And I'm going, huh. Huh. And then I start getting a few emails from different people in the church, get a text or two, just saying, Pastor, I'm really concerned about our nation. I'm concerned. I don't know how to respond. Now, what do I do? Blah, 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 all these sort of questions. So I said, okay. So I woke up on Wednesday morning with this uneasiness in my spirit, and I realized I just had to push aside all the work that had been done for the first two days and kind of start all over and kind of seek God's Word and kind of help us kind of process some of the things that have been going on uh, for some time now uh, in our nation. Now, let me clarify here. I, I am not a politician. I am not. I, I am not here to convince you to be a—we're not going to go there. Uh, I am not a great historian. I'm, I, I, I can't give you all the facts and all the knowledge from, from history, you know, about the politics and the political systems and all that. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know all that stuff. Uh, I'm a pastor. And uh, I know what this book has to say. And so that's where I'm coming from, just only. And here's what we're reminded this week, that when a nation, even a nation that believes in separation of church and state, when a nation finds itself where it feels like there's kind of topsy-turvy stuff going on, people turn to their faith looking for grounding. I remember 9-11. And we didn't, we didn't post anything. There was no posting. There was no ability to post anything. But all of a sudden that night, this place was standing room only. And this building didn't exist. It was in the other. People just wanted to come and be at their church to kind of sort things through the process. So here's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to process through the Word of God. Because here's what I know, and I've been here long enough to be aware of this, that in this church, uh, we have people uh, who, who vote one way, and people over here who vote the other way, and you come here to worship together. You do. And those who voted one way, you think the reason our nation or stuff is going bad in our world because those people voted wrong. And those on the other side, right, who know those people, you know, we know those people voted wrong, and they're the reason why everything is going. I know you say that. And yet you come here to worship all together. And I think looking for some sort of assurance 
that God is still in control, that things that together we can work through this, that together that we can. Now, here's what I know about elections. Elections, by their very nature, create disagreements. An election is a disagreement. Some people believe this way. Some people believe that way. That's just the way they are. But the polarity, but the inflammatory rhetoric, the hatred, the language of not just the past few months, the past several years, years, has caused many people to raise questions. And you said them, you've heard them. Where's our nation headed? Is there a place for me? Is there a place for me with, our, with all these beliefs and values? Is there a place for me in our nation? Is it falling apart? Is our nation falling apart? What am I supposed to do? I feel powerless. I feel like I'm just one person. How do I respond? As an American and a Christian, how do I respond? I've got a lot of that. I get a lot of that. So I want to give you real quickly five things that I think that we are called to do to respond. If you have your little app, you can find them there, you know, where, where your notes are. Uh, some of these are straight from Scripture. Some of these are kind of my opinion on how we respond when it feels like things in our nation are kind of tipsy-turvy. Here's the first one. The first one is very simple, and it's to pray. In fact, the Scripture commands us to in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, pray for those in governing authority. Pray for. It doesn't say pray against. It doesn't say pray against. It says pray for. I prayed for Clinton when he was president. I prayed for the Bushes. I prayed for Obama. I prayed for Trump. And I will pray for Biden. I will pray. I will. Not against. For. I will pray for those who are on the outside trying to look in. I will pray for them. I will pray for our men and women in blue, for our law enforcement. I will pray for them. I will pray for my brothers and sisters whose skin color is darker than my own, who sometimes question a play. I will pray for them. I will pray for. I will pray for their souls. I will pray for their hearts. I will pray for their minds in wisdom and discernment and decision-making. I will pray for. And I will not ask God to do my will in my prayer. I will say, God, your will be done. Not the Republicans' will be done. Not the Democrats' will be done. Not their party. Not their party. Not their platform. But God, your will be done. Not my will. Your will be done. I will pray. I ask you to do the same. Secondly, is that I will self-examine myself. Self-examine. I'm not going to examine you and examine that party and tear them apart and decipher and report and kind of pick apart, pick, 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 pick. I'm going to look in the mirror as a Christian and examine me. How can I be a better American? How can I be a better citizen? How can I be a better person? How can I be a better neighbor? Examine myself. Here's what I know. History tells me this. Every four years, we do not know who's going to be in the Oval Office. We don't know. And I don't care what any prophet or what anybody else says out there who says they're a prophet and they know. Nobody knows. But here's what I do know. God is always on the throne of the universe. 
He's on the throne. He's in the office of offices. And he's the one who created me. He is the one who gives me life. I answer to him. He is my commander-in-chief. And so I self-examine my life to make sure it's pleasing to him, not to any party, not to any other political police, but that he is pleased with how I'm living my life. I examine me, not everybody else. Third is I'm going to act. I ask you to be involved. Prayer doesn't mean that you're passive. Get involved. Yes, be a part of the system. Work for this party. Uh, advocate for this party. For the, yeah, get involved. Do that. That is totally okay. Act. Be involved in it. But with the Spirit of Jesus, act with it. Write a letter to your congressman, to your representative. Not just complaining. How about send a letter affirming every once in a while, encouraging someone, instead of just sending an email or whatever when you're mad or, or bent out of shape. Post something on social media about what you love about your nation. Turn people to things that are good that are going on instead of just all pointing out. Serve. Serve in your community. Make your school better. Make your town better. Make your business better wherever you live. Get involved in your church. Help make it better instead of sitting on the sidelines throwing those little grenades. Serve, 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 serve. Be a part. The next one I would ask is that you listen. Listening is totally underrated. In fact, the scriptures say, be slow to speak and quick to listen. And I'm not just saying listen to people who agree with you. Don't just listen to your own little radio post, your own little guru podcast, politician, or radio station, or TV station that just brainwashes you further to reinforce what you already think is right. Listen to people of opposing views and different, understand, listen like you want to really know and understand. You might be surprised. Listen. Communicate you care without being defensive or persuasive. Just listen and try to learn something. In fact, the more you listen, the more you learn. And here's the last one, love. I think on this Martin Luther King weekend, I think it's appropriate for us to remember some very critical words that he said that are infamous, and we forget them. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus said, the great commandment, love people, love God. Just love God. Love your neighbors. you love yourself. He said, a new command I give you, love. He didn't say love people who are just like you, who believe like you, who think like you, who vote like you, who are on the right. He said, love people. Love one another. That doesn't mean you have to agree about everything. You don't have to like everything. But you can love people because they are sons and daughters of God just like you Now, I've been kind of wrestling with all this whole thing because I was challenged this past week <laughs> to give it some thought. Is this the first time the church has ever found itself stuck with people with these two polar, polar belief systems all trying to worship together in the same place? And it's not. You can go all the way back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Think about this. Jesus is stuck between the Romans and the Israel. The Romans were killing the Israelites. The Israelites wanted to kill the Romans, and Jesus is right in the middle of them. Then Jesus does something very wise. 
he calls out these people, or 12 who calls them the disciples. And one of them was called out, was named Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. He sold out to the Romans. He collaborates with the Romans to rip off, to cheat his own brothers and sisters out of what they could to build the Roman Empire. He also calls out a guy named Simon, Simon the Zealot. He wanted to kill Romans. He did kill some Romans. He calls both of those guys to be his disciples. They sit at the table. They're on polar opposites of the political spectrum. Jesus takes some bread. He breaks it. He says, hey, guys, this is my body, my body broken for you. And he takes a cup, and there wasn't water in it. There was wine in it. He said, this is my blood spilled upon the ground for the forgiveness of your sins. For both of you. And I think in that moment, there was an opportunity for an epiphany by both Matthew and Simon. That what's going to hold the world together is not the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire being built up, the Roman platform, and not the platform of Israel's platform, the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that is the same yesterday, today, and forever that is not going to fall. The kingdom of God. And that's what I want you to live for and die for. You can die on that hill. And it's worth it. Because I am. God, before we open your word, we ask you to teach us Get inside our head, get inside our heart, get inside our, our soul with your spirit. Show us, God, enlighten us what is going on around us, how we can process and understand all the rhetoric, all the polarity, all the, the discomfort that's happening in our nation, the uncertainty that people seem to be feeling, the anger. And just show us, God, what we need to know to help us be a part of what you want to do at this particular point in history in the United States of America. Show us, God, how we can be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read one verse before we kind of get over into 1 Samuel. We're going to be in, we're going to do a Bible study here, what we're going to do here in a little bit. But first of all, I want to talk about power, and I want to jump off from the place of a, a proverb. Proverbs 16, verse 32. We'll put it on the screen. It goes like this. It says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Now, in that little proverb, it's talking about power. It's talking about outward power over a city, over a government, over a Congress, over a Senate, over a city, over a family. It's talking about power over, outer power. But it's also talking about inner power. It's talking about inner power over my appetites, over my patience, self-control, over my behaviors, over my words, over the things I think and say inside of me. Now, outer power is about success. It's your desire to be successful and to build your own personal little kingdom. Here's a fact. We're all trying to build our own little kingdom. And you want to be successful. You use outer power. But the Scripture talks about something called inner power. And inner power is about my character. It's about what happens on, on the inside of me. And the scripture is very clear that inner power matters more than outer power. And it's the misuse of the outer power and the ignoring of the inner power 
that begins the deterioration and the falling of kingdom, any kingdom. That's your marriage. That's your family. That's the business that you run. That's a nation. That's your own little personal life. That is you, your personal life. It's when you ignore the inner power that is over your character, and it's all about being over somebody else. Now, we're talking about how things deteriorate. And it's kind of hard to see things deteriorate. Anybody like me, there's something you see deteriorate, it starts slowly starting crumbling, and man, it's just hard to watch. And it doesn't happen overnight, it's slow. Deterioration of any kingdom is just a slow kind of process. Uh, I still like to go by driving Fort Worth and drive by the old homestead of my mother and my, my mother where my mother was raised. Uh, I can still see it on the corner of Berry Street and Bright. And man, was that a cool place to go to my granny and papa's house. They had this huge, gigantic garden. There were flowers all around it. I mean, he, my papa always had a green thumb. He just touched it and it grew. The grass was always lush and green. There was this big old mimosa tree. I used to think it was so big, but it wasn't so big. We could climb up it and play. There was this two-car garage that my papa built with his uncle, with my uncle Kenneth, who might be watching online right now. Hello, Uncle Kenneth. And man, they built that thing with their own hands, and it was so stout. It was built so strong. It was like a, it was a playhouse for us all as grandkids. We loved to play there. When I drive by there now, you know what it looks like? It's falling apart. It's kind of hard to drive by and see it. It hurts my heart to see it. Because I remember, sometimes before I'm jumping in the shower, I accidentally get caught at staring at the mirror and looking at my body. And I go, man, back in the day, <laughs> you used to be, the truth of the matter is, there never was a back in the day. <laughs> there never, that, was, that was just kind of wishful thinking. But is anybody like me, you look in the mirror and you see the slow decay and you go, darn, this is hard to watch. My dad is 90. Five years ago, my dad, 85 years of age, cutting down trees, splitting the logs, climbing up on top of the roof, repairing the house. He broke a femur in his left leg here a few weeks ago. Dementia's crept into his mind. I went to see him this past week in rehab. He can't even get out of bed by himself. Hard to watch. Something deteriorate that you love and you, that means so much to you. It just slowly. The church, you know what's really sad? What's really sad when a human spirit, a human spirit begins to deteriorate. When a human spirit starts out full of life, full of hopes, full of genes, full of vigor, full of excitement, full of passion, full of life, and over time, you get beat up by life. Over time, things happen. Over time, you get disgruntled. You get cynical. You get negative. You kind of get a sour spirit, and all of a sudden, your spark for life doesn't exist, and you slowly, slowly, slowly are just deteriorating. It happens to nations. It happens to businesses. It happens to churches. It happens to marriages. It happens to individuals. And God doesn't want that. God doesn't want it for you. God doesn't want it for your marriage. God doesn't want it for your company, for your business, for his church. He doesn't want it for a nation. God wants better. God wants more. But unfortunately, 
There is a cycle that if you and I or your company or our nation or anybody gets bought into, it slowly just kind of deteriorates and it begins to fall. Kings and kingdoms, they fall. They can't. So we're going to look at the, the apostle, we're going to look at a man named Saul. If you want to turn your Bibles over to 1 Samuel, we're going to do a little Bible study here. I'm going to whoop through this as quickly as I can. I'm going to take, hit, hit the kind of highlights here. We're going to look at Samuel and, and the life of Saul and his kingship and his kingdom to kind of understand how this happens. How does someone, how does a nation, how does an organization, how does it deteriorate? How does it fall eventually? Uh, over here, we're going to learn something about Saul. I want you to see that Saul, when he started out before he was ever appointed king, it says here in 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, he was handsome. And he was a head taller than everybody else. In other words, he, was just, he had charisma. All the men wanted to be like Saul. And all the women wanted a man like Saul. He was handsome. He was young. He was strong. He was real. All that sort of thing. Another thing we learned about Saul in the beginning of his kingship where he was, uh, he was full of humility. After he's anointed king, he goes out to battle. And uh, he consolidates his power. And some of his cronies go, you know what? There were some people who voted against you being king. Why don't you let us go kill them and take them out? We'll get rid of them. Let me say this about that. In the United States of America, let us not take for granted this thing called the peaceful transfer of power. In many nations, even to this day, there is no peaceful transfer of power. There is nothing but blame and shame and taking people down and blood and death because they don't want the power transferred or I'm going to take the power. That's something you can pray for this week. With all the threats, pray for a peaceful transfer of power. Right here he says, you know what? Verse 21 of chapter 9. He says, listen, guys, um, he's humble. He's humble. I'm from a small tribe of Israel. It's my clan the least. He said, hey, I shouldn't even be king. I shouldn't even be king. And then over here in verse 13 of chapter 11, to these guys who told him, we just let us know who voted against you and we'll take them out. But Saul says in verse 13 of chapter 11, no, nobody's going to be put to death today. Nobody. Not under my watch. Not under my leadership. We're not doing that. See, when Saul started off, he was viral and strong and handsome. He was athletic. Uh, he was humble. He had a gracious spirit to those who were before him. He, he just was. And then all of a sudden, things changed. That's not how he died. He died. He ended his life being tormented. He was angry. Pathological jealousy. Lies. Deceit conspiracy therapies. He was paranoid about everything that was going around him, and he died a miserable man. His children were victims of his uncontrollable anger. He had no joy. He had no peace in his spirit. He just died unsettled, restless. And God doesn't want that for anybody. He doesn't want it for you, for a nation, for a church, for a company. But it happens. How does it happen? Four little things. First one from your notes, right there. To you begin to tolerate subtle disobedience to God. You just begin to tolerate it. It's not big. It's not massive. It's not some huge thing. Everybody gets all. It's just a little bitty thing, and then another, and another, and another, and another, and another. So Saul's anointed king. 
and uh, he goes out to going to fight a battle against the Philistines. It's going to be this big old huge battle. So Samuel, who ordered him king, he comes, hey, listen, Saul, I need to tell you something. Before you go to fight the Philistines, we got to go to God. We got to go ask God for help. Now, we're going to do that. You and I, we're going to go, we're going to worship God, and we're going to ask for his help. But I'm going to offer the sacrifice, so I want you to wait till I get to Gilgal. And when I get, to, when I get there, I will offer the sacrifice. I will lead the worship, you lead the army. Fascinating concept. So as here, we take for granted the separation of church and state. Do you know even today around the world, there's not really a thing called separation of church and state? In the United States of America, we have it. It's kind of a tenor thing to, to kind of, it's kind of hard to kind of know how to balance and hold together. Separation, but yet united. But it used to. If you were the king, you were the charge over the church. You were the charge over every religion and over every faith. You were. But we can give little Israel the beginning point of the separation of church and state. He says, no, you king are not God. You are submitting to God. You don't get to be in charge of everything. God is. So I, you wait, you wait. You got it? Now what are you going to do, Saul? I'm going to wait. What are you going to wait for? I'm going to wait for you to get there. And when you get there, then we'll offer the sacrifice. But he doesn't do it. Right here in verse chapter 13, uh, verse 7. Saul remained at Gilgal. He waited, and all the troops with him, and they were quaking with fear. See, that's what happens. When God asks you to wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and God doesn't do yet what he, you say, i got to take things to my own man. i got to do something. I mean, and everybody's getting fearful. Everybody's getting anxious. That's what happens in the things turn into a riot. People wait. They wait. They wait. Nothing happens. So they go, Pow! it explodes. And so it does. Verse 8, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, hey, bring me the burnt offering. Bring me the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. He knew he wasn't supposed to. He did it anyway. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel shows up. And he says in verse 11, what have you done? This is a key moment in all of Saul's spiritual journey. He could have said, you know what? I messed up. I got scared. I panicked. I kind of, and so I, I knew I shouldn't have, but he didn't. In every marriage, listen, in every marriage, in every company, in every point of your spiritual journey, there are going to be moments, that's a key crossroad moment, where you have a choice to go to God and confess and admit you know what? I messed up. I panicked. I got scared. I really screwed up. I did it. It's on me. Come clean, and you can start all over, or you can be like Saul. And so, nope. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do anything wrong. What have you done, asked Samuel? What have you, God gave you, you're not even king, but on your own, God allowed you to be king. You've got to give him all the credit. And Saul said, but when I saw the men were scattering, I mean, I'm the leader, they're running. I had to do something. I mean, make an excuse. And, and that you didn't come, in other words, you didn't show up like you said. You start blaming him, you're blaming Samuel. I thought, man, the Philistines are coming. i got to fight, and I'm not sought the Lord's favor. I've got to give the burnt offering. He felt entitled. That because he's the king, I make all the rules, and what I say goes. Anybody ever said that about their house? 
I'm in charge, and what I say goes. Hmm. I can change the rules when I want to, too, because I make them. Years ago, when this was a one high school town, I would fly the Burleson High School flag on game days on Fridays when my son Justin played football for BHS. And I'll never forget when they beat Cleveland. And when they won a big game, I kept it flying on Sunday. I come to worship, and the, and the BHS flag is flying out there, the Burleson Elves on Sunday. And if they won, I sometimes would gloat a little bit at the beginning of the message and celebrate because my kid's out there in the congregation. And so one day I'm doing that. We beat Cleaver, and we beat the dog out of Cleaver, and it was a big victory to be able to do that. And so I'm kind of enjoying that, blah, it's always blah, blah. And after worship, this visitor stops me, a dad from Cleaver. He said, Pastor, I, can, I get you enjoying all this and all this sort of stuff, and I get it, but you know how that made me feel? You kind of glowing the whole, all that. I got a question for you. Are you just going to be the leader of the people in Burleson? Are you just going to be the pastor of the people who believe in just where you are? Are you going to be the leader of all of us? Are you going to be the pastor of all of us? And Saul said, you know what? I'm the king, and I get to decide who's in, who's out, and I'm, I can choose who I'm going to focus on. I can't, and I will. And he did. He does it again over here in chapter uh, 15. He is told not to go take uh, any of the, the loot, the plunder from the Amalekites. They're wealthy, they're rich. He says, listen, Saul, do not get rich as being king. Don't make, don't, don't go take, I want you to destroy all the cattle, all, everything that belongs to him. I want you to do that. Uh, but, it, but he doesn't. Again, disobeying God, a little thing, a big deal. And it said down there in verse 12, early in the morning after the battle, uh, Samuel got up, he goes to find Saul, but he, he couldn't find, hey, Saul's gone to Carmel. It says there he's built up a monument in his own honor. <laughs> the humility's gone. He's turned and gone on down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said to him, Hey, Samuel, may the Lord bless you. I carried out the Lord's instructions. In other words, he's being super religious, holier than thou. Uh, but he hadn't, and Samuel didn't buy it. Verse 14, he said, Hey, what do I hear in my ears? Do I hear sheep? Do I hear cows? Did you take that stuff I told you not to? And Saul said, Hey, the soldiers did it. See that verse 15? And then in the same verse, he said, Hey, we did it to sacrifice to your God. He didn't say my God, to your God. Now he's blaming it on Samuel again. Hey, you got this God, and at least he's happy. We got, so really, it's your fault if you would have thought differently about it. I think it's very interesting, that same chapter down here in verse 10, uh, verse 11, uh, God says to Samuel, hey, I regret that I ever made Saul king. You ever regretted hiring somebody? You ever regretted hiring? Say, you know what? That was a bad hire. I wish, I wish I wouldn't have hired them. Man, I wish I hadn't made him king because he's turned away from me. He has not carried out my instructions. Church, this is what so many of us do. We don't examine ourselves. We examine everybody else. Saul never went to God and said, God, what do I need to change? What do I need to do different? 
How do I need to get right with you? Let me ask you, is there any area in your life where you just been kind of, just, you know, just kind of fudging a little bit of what God wants you to do? Just a little bit? Just a little bit? Gossiping? You go, hey, it's okay for me to gossip. I mean, they hurt me. They need to hurt too. Not a big deal, right? Just a little deal. Hey, I can post what I want on social media. I have free speech, the amendment. I can say whatever I want. I can do, I mean, I, I can't. Really? Does the word say that? You stop praying? Stop reading your Bible? Hey, I'm busy. I'm busy. I just don't have time. I'm busy. Right? Stop tithing. Stop giving. Hey, I got to take care of me. Just little bitty things that over time just tick, 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 tick. It's what happens to the beginning of the fall of nations, of marriages, of families, of personal lives. Second, we begin to tolerate the loss of intimacy with God. Uh, that's what Samuel did. That's what Saul did. He started off loving God. I mean, he loved God with everything that he had. Over time, he just slowly kind of drifted. He just kind of slowly drifted away from God. You know what that's like? Man, I love you, God. I'll do anything you want, God. I want people to come to know you, God. I'm going to do everything to make sure, and then all of a sudden you don't because you don't feel close to God. You just start drifting away from him, and that's the beginning of bad, terrible things beginning to happen. And on the inside, you know that's true, and even right now, some of you, you know that's true. And here's what happens. When you and I begin to feel this way on the inside, we get uneasy, over here in chapter 16 of verse 14, it said the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, not because God wanted to leave Saul, but Saul said, hey, I don't, hey, I'm king. I don't need you. I can do it by myself. And it said an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. In other words, a troubling spirit. That's a bitter translation in the Hebrew, a troubling spirit. He was insecure. He had the lack of peace. He felt uncomfortable on the inside. So what did he do? Instead of going to God and asking God, God, help me, help me, over in verse 23 of 16, the very last verse, it says, he went to David and said, David, hey, would you please get your harp and play for me? Then it says relief would come to Saul. Now, here's what I know. David had to be good at playing the harp. Because what, here's what I know. Any parent of any middle schooler, when your kid starts playing in the band, you don't say, would you please come, please come play your trumpet so we can get some relief? <laughs> Nobody says that. You say, would you please stop playing your trumpet so we can have some relief? So David had to be good. But see, music gives us relief. That's why when you go to the doctor's office, they have music in the background. You know why? Because they know if you get quiet and you start overthinking it, oh, no, what's going to happen? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? You start getting in your head. Oh, 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 you get troubled on the inside. But they play music. It kind of calms you. They, it's, it's, a, it's a thing to calm you down, to give you temporary relief. And some of you, I want you to notice the patterns in your life. When you get quiet and you get anxious, you get uncomfortable, what do you do? You turn on the TV. You turn it up louder. Give me another drink. Give me another drink. You get your phone. You start posting and texting. Start pro, you know, going on Facebook and seeing all this stuff. And you put your post. You put your hot political opinion. I can't believe that. Bah, 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 bah. You eat. 
instead of going to God and saying, God, I need you to comfort this uncomfortable silence that's going on with inside of me. Only you have the answer to that. And nations who turn away from that, they look to outside political allowances and power instead of to God to ease the trouble, they begin to fall. Number three, you begin to tolerate toxic poison relationships. People love Saul at the beginning. They love to be around him. When he died, they couldn't stand to be around him. David wanted to be just like Saul. Little David, little kid. And he started having so much success that Saul got jealous. Pathological jealousy. He got paranoid. And he just knew that David was going to take away his position of power. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Elections are matters of disagreement where people start panicking, losing power, and bad things happen, and bad things have happened. In the scriptures, what happened is that Saul got so afraid, it says in chapter 18 of verse 12, he got so afraid of David that the Lord was with David, he departed from Saul, and Saul asked his son Jonathan, go kill David, take him out. David wanted to be just like Saul. Jonathan said, Dad, I can't do it. I'm not going to kill him. What did he do? And it says over here in chapter 20, verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at his own son, and he said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That's a cuss word in the Bible. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? He doesn't even say David's name. To your own shame, he's shaming him. And to the shame of the mother who bore you, as long as this kid lives, not you or your kingdom will be established. Now, send someone to bring him to me. He's got to die. Jonathan, Dad, why does he have to be put to death? And then Saul hurled a spear at his own son. I'm watching the time. We're going to get there quickly. Please stay with me. Some of you were raised in a home where your dad, he didn't hurl spears. He hurled words. And all you wanted was him to love you. But because he didn't, because he got jealous or envious or whatever, of, even of you, or just kind of withheld it, it created a poisonous, toxic relationship between you and your dad or to somebody else in your family or in your business. And when that happens, in church that has happened here in the United States of America, through this election, we have allowed poison and toxic relationships to raise the level of polarity and inflammatory language and ugliness and meanness and harshness and mean-spirited that has divided us in a way that does not honor God because we become even toxic among one another. And God says, repent. Come home. Come back. Do not fall because of your own jealousy and your own little pride. Set it aside. Do not allow the toxicity to poison everything in your life. And here's the last one. We compromise our ultimate values. That's exactly what Samuel does. I'm not going to read the text to you. At the very end of his life, he had just chipped away. He began to compromise the very things that he thought were true, and he just, just, just to hold on to power. 
And here's what happens in politics. When people feel like they're losing power, all they do is make political alliances. They make political alliances for the purpose of staying in power. Instead of turning to God, the ultimate source of all values for the one to give them guidance and give them truth. When you read the rest of the story, at the very end, Saul dies. He loses the kingdom. He loses his family. And he has fallen. And this is why. Now, church, I'm going to ask you not to examine our nation I'm going to ask you to examine yourself. Of these four things, where are you? Where are you straying? Where are you straying? What can you do to be a part of the solution instead of the problem? Now, I'm going to invite you now to close out with a prayer for our nation. I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to do what we talked about, and I'm going to guide you. We've got a big week ahead of us. There's been a lot happening. So here's my first act, ask of you. Just right there where you're seated, online, wherever you are, in the middle of the night or day, just thank God. Thank God for the greatest nation. Thank God for the United States of America and the freedoms that we have to worship and to vote. Give God thanks for the Constitution. Give God thanks for women and men who put themselves in the line of fire. Who would want to do Give God thanks that someone is doing that work that we don't want to do. Give God thanks. Pray for the soul of our nation. Pray that we come back to the cross, that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where there is mercy and forgiveness and new beginnings, that we would come back to align ourselves under the one who is the one true king, a nation under God. Pray for our soul. Confess. Confess on behalf of our nation how we have failed him. Take a moment and pray for those who are leaving office. Pray for their families. Pray for their mental health, their spiritual health. Pray for a sense of well-being within them. For healing for humility. Pray for those that are coming into office, into any form of leadership. Pray that God will be with them and they will notice it. That they will listen for the sweet whispers of God and be obedient to God and not to those who are whispering in their ears around them. That they would seek God's wisdom. And ask God to show you 
what you can do and how you can be better yourself as a citizen and a Christian in this great country. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may God bless America. Amen and amen. See you next week. The happy life.